episode 189 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I guess full faith and credit doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. Thank you for liking, rating, reviewing, telling your friends about the podcast. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. So here we are, America. Look, I've got a great guest today, Ellie Mistal from The Nation, America's favorite legal pundit, if you ask me. My favorite legal pundit. I mean, this is a guy, Ellie Mistal. Let me just uh, let me just talk about Ellie for a second before I get into my opening remarks. Ellie Mistal, in my opinion, is a fantastic progressive legal analyst. MSNBC does not use him enough. The guy is smart as a whip, knows the law, knows the casework as well as anybody and is incredibly entertaining in the way he delivers commentary. So why they don't use him, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, whenever I hear he's coming up, I do not change the channel to the cooking shows, which by the way, when I get tired of news, I usually watch diners, drive-ins and dives, or guys grocery games, or chopped. That's where I'm at. That's where my head is. I like sports too. Uh, you know, I'll tune into the Islander game. I'll tune into a Yankee game, football, Sundays. That's all I do. But, you know, on a regular day when there's nothing going on, uh, for me, cooking competitions are pretty good. It's food porn. And as you know, I'm always trying to watch my weight. So uh, I, I, I got to watch the food porn to kind of get that, that feeling. So I watch a lot of it, a lot of it. Um, particularly diners, drive-ins, and dives. And I always like say to myself, one day I'm going to go on a tour of the country and just going to go to all those places and I'm going to gain 100 pounds and I'm not going to care. And I think I'm you know, getting to that point at some point. But I digress. You'll hear from Ellie in a few minutes. Let's talk about the debt ceiling. Let's talk about the full faith and credit of the United States uh, you know, treasuries. The U.S. dollar is the reserve currency across the planet. And American bonds... They are really the gold standards of security, right? It's it's where you put your money if you don't want to risk your money because you know that the return is going to be there, that the United States will always pay its debt. Yet, for some reason, starting in 2011, when the Tea Party took control of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, the Congress has been playing games only during Democratic presidencies, by the way. They did it during Obama. They're doing it now during Biden. When Trump was president, well, they raised the debt ceiling three times. They didn't even care. And, and by the way, Trump added 25%. The entire debt that we have from the history of time, since the beginning of presidents, since the beginning of the United States, since 1789, is 25% of the debt that we've, that we've accumulated happened during the Trump presidency. 25%. Biden has actually lowered the deficit, meaning that we are creating less debt under Biden, significantly less debt than we did under Trump. But now those same Trump Republicans want to hold the debt ceiling hostage and threaten the full faith and credit of the United States of America. And I guess full faith and credit doesn't mean the same thing to them as it does to me. This should be a no-brainer. And quite frankly, you know, I should have asked Ellie this. If you read the Constitution, it doesn't appear to me 
that the United States has a choice in whether or not to pay the debt. It seems to me that the sanctity of the debt is all over the Constitution. It's how we settled the Civil War in a lot of ways. It's how we became the United States, right? The United States assumed the debt of some of these states when we were under the Articles of Confederation. We consolidated the debt. And it is was it was a catalyst to creating this union that has stood since 1789, maybe 87. I'm sorry. Um, I'm talking about the Constitution of the United States, not the Articles of Confederation, which started in 1776. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to do a history lesson here. And by the way, Ellie would have been better at it than me. And I didn't ask him this stuff. We talked about a lot of other things. Okay, we talked about Moore v. Harper, which is a case that Republican-led legislators, legislatures across the country have brought to try to overturn the will of the people whenever they want. It's the independent legislature theory, which is ridiculous. And Ellie and I talk about that. And by the way, if the Supreme Court decides that that's going to happen, uh, I don't know what kind of chaos is going to happen after that. But we talk about that. It's something that many of you have requested. A few of my personal friends have asked me about this, but I've gotten a lot of emails, you know, a lot of people concerned about it. I'm concerned about it, uh, but I don't think it has any chance of passing. But Ellie and I talk about it in this interview that's coming up in a few minutes. But back to the debt ceiling crisis, which is an artificial crisis that we don't need to have. I'm sorry. Anybody who's run for office who has promised to keep their hands off of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, lied to you if they are not going to do whatever it takes to pass a clean debt ceiling. Because right now, the Republican position is that they will touch everything. They will cut everything. In you know, They will take whatever they can to reduce costs to this government, to lower taxes on their wealthy friends. That's what they've said. They have said this publicly. This is not like a secret. This is not me speculating. Watch the interviews with these people on the Sunday shows and on other programs. They have promised to make drastic cuts to spending in order to preserve tax cuts for the rich or even give them more tax cuts. God, the Republicans proposed a 30% sales tax last week. Sales tax, 30%. You think the cost of milk is high now? You think the cost of eggs is high now? Add 30% to that. That's what they want. They want a 30% tax. It's it's miserable, the things these people are are, are proposing. Uh, I, I don't know how they get elected. Their ideas are incredibly unpopular, which is why they have to do things like hold the national debt hostage. Hold the full faith and credit of the United States hostage. Hold the world economy hostage to get their very unpopular programs through. So you need to call your congressman if you live in a red district. You need to call your senator if you live in a red state. And you need to tell them, we need a clean debt ceiling bill and we need it now. None of this nonsense waiting till June. We're going to, look, the fact that our bonds are as strong as they are depends on people having faith that the United States of America will pay its debts, that we will do what we said we will do. And if every time there is a Republican chamber of Congress and a Democratic president, we've got to go through this nonsense, that fate will be 
eroded and the economy of this world will no longer be dependent on the U.S. dollar and the United States will be subservient to whatever country they base that on. I don't think anybody wants that. But that's what the that's what the Republicans in the House, particularly the MAGA wing of the Republican Party, the MAGA wing whose leader is responsible for 25% of all the debt in the history of this nation, a man who once called himself the king of debt. That is what they want to do. So call your congressman and tell him to stop. All right, I'm going to stop because I got Ellie Mistal, and you love Ellie. So stick around uh, and listen to Ellie, and I'll be back to wrap up the show after. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. All right. One of my favorite guests. Ellie Mistal, who is the justice correspondent for the for the nation, a fellow Long Islander like me. LA, how you doing? How you doing, Chris? Man, it has been a while. We've got a lot to talk about legally. Our neck of the woods is in the news. I, I know. Before we start and talk about like the real serious legal issues of the day, <laughs> uh, let's talk about this maniac George Santos who is giving Long Island. I think is he worse than the Islip garbage barge? <laughs> Hey, look, Chris, we, we both know George Santos's district, right? It's primarily the North Shore of Long Island in Nassau County. The new District 3 kind of extends a little bit through the mid, Mid-Island and down to the South Shore. But we fundamentally know these Nassau County Republicans. And right. the thing that you have to understand about Nassau County Republicans, if you don't know like Chris and I do, is that the only thing they care about is tax cuts. Tax cuts and jobs for their people. <laughs> They don't care about the environment. They don't care about lies. No, anything you want to bring up that you think is important, they don't care. They want their tax cuts, right? Like they're sitting at their yacht clubs and they want their tax cuts, and that's how they're going to vote. Right. So it was really surprising. Like that's their baseline. So it was really surprising to me when even Nassau County Republican Party, like when even the Nassau County Republican establishment was like, this, this George Santos man has to go. Every like, single one of them, too, by the way. Like, every one of them, they lined up at the camera, and they all talked. Like, do you know how bad of a Republican you have to be to lose lose comedy with yeah. your fellow Republicans on Long Island? That that is that is the biggest indication to me that George Santos is some is is a man apart, right? He is not part of the establishment. He is not he he is he is a a, a free floating floating radical that needs to be excised not just from the Republican Party, but just from the congressional conversation in general, I do not understand why Nassau County Republicans can figure this out, but Kevin McCarthy can't. Because uh, Kevin McCarthy needs to vote, right? I mean, he made a deal with this guy. You get my vote, 
and I won't, you know, don't don't get me out. Don't kick me out. Give me committees. Treat me like any other member. One of Santos's lies was that he used to be chief of staff for Kevin McCarthy. Unbelievable. Like, how is she going to stick with a man <laughs> who's lied about working for you? It's just. It's and, and by the way, and by the way, to lie and say you were his chief of staff. <laughs> Right? It's like he's probably had the same chief of staff forever. And you could have said I was an intern or something for Kevin McCarthy. Nobody would have known. But the lie is that he was chief of staff. It's like the volleyball. I got two knee replacements because of my volleyball career. It, it's, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but it's the old like John Lovett skit. From Saturday Night yes! Live, the guy who's like, lies, yeah, that's the ticket. I, I was his chief of staff. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what this guy is. I tweeted out that the George Santos story starring John Lovitz coming to a theater near you. I mean, it's just like, yeah, 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 and I was a volleyball player. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's the ticket. But it just it just goes to sh- the fact that, he, that McCarthy can't excise this guy just shows how weak of a speaker he is, right? Like, if he is so, if his power is so reliable, that he has to keep on, you know, Brazilian drag queen man. Yeah. Because he can't lose the vote. Unbelievable. And it really shows that McCarthy is is truly a figurehead in search of power as a person as opposed to a person with actual power. I mean, is the is the balcony, the speaker's balcony really is it that is it worth this price of your soul? If your soul is that cheap, I guess it is, right? I mean, you had the majority leader's office. It's a pretty big office, too. I've been to it. It's pretty big. I don't know. I don't know, Chris. I don't know what what a former Speaker of the House lobbying fees are, but I I would imagine that they're pretty nice. That that McCarthy can do that in 2026 when he's out of a job or something. I would imagine he won't even need to be lobbying fees. I think he would be just put on corporate boards and that'll be it. He won't ever have to work again in his life, right? I mean, you know, you'd be making $200,000 sitting on the Coca-Cola board doing nothing. I, I guess that's that's what it's, I guess that's what his soul is worth. Yeah, I, it is It is shocking to me, but like, you know, look, the district that Santos won is a, is a Democratic seat. It was a fluke that he won that seat. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, I think the Democratic uh, candidates committed malpractice by not, you know, throwing everything at this guy. I saw their poll uh, in October, and they were not winning. <laughs> but this also goes. This also goes to the horrible redistricting that New York went through. Yeah, and that was at the behest. Remember, Democrats control the Assembly. It is a it is an independent commission that has to report to the Democratic Assembly on the new maps. They did that. These districts did not look like that. They got thrown out in the New York Court of Appeals, which is the highest um, uh, state court in New York, four to three by a block of judges that traditionally vote conservative. Yep. And that, Chris, brings us right into the current kind of Kathy Hochul, just quicksand nightmare of trying to force this conservative judge, Democrat, yes, but conservative Democrat, IDC light judge, Hector LaSalle, um, into the New York State Supreme Court, uh, to be that fourth vote for the conservative side. This is exactly why that's important. Well, I mean, look, I, I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole because I have a national show here that <laughs> nobody be like, you want to talk about the New York State Court of Appeals? <laughs> I mean, and I know there would be nobody better to talk about that than you. <laughs> but but I, I think my guys in in, in uh, Wisconsin are be like, uh, and my guy, my, my market's in Idaho are like, uh, what? Who? Who's Hector LaSalle? <laughs> well, just know that the, re- that the New York State redistricting is why Republicans were able to hang on to Congress. Well, look, um, New York State made a mistake. They unilaterally disarmed on gerrymandering. 
They, they could have gerrymandered the state as well as uh, they did it in Georgia and Florida. We could have had, you know, of the 26 seats, we could have had 23 of them be Democratic. Yeah. And Chris, you know my dad. My dad used to be a world-class gerrymander. I know. Like, you know, like there, there is, you know, my dad could draw a map with a 50-50 map. My dad could draw a map that was like 10-7 Republican. He could draw it 10-7 de- Democrat. Right. Or he could draw it 50-50 if you wanted to. Like, that's how gerrymanderers roll. And like you say, Chris, New York is one of those states that disarmed and didn't gerrymander. And again, it was because of those states. Right. Courts. And then they, then when they tried to gerrymander, they're like, wait a minute, we can't let the right? we can't let right. these Republicans roll. We would have had the majority in the House. It's amazing right. to me. Whereas Florida, Ron DeSantis gerrymandered that to bits and picked up three seats for Republicans in districts that Democrats should have won or would have won under old maps. And that right there, these five seats in New York, three seats in Florida, that's the House, baby. Yeah. That's the House. It is It is unbelievable. And by the way, California did the same thing. They unilaterally withdrew, with you know disarmed. And yeah. it's not as dramatic in California because there's so many seats and Democrats are so you know dominant in California. But New York, you had a good Republican campaign for governor uh, that brought out votes on Long Island, and they lost all four seats on Long Island, all four seats that had gone for Biden. All right. They were all Biden plus whatever. Even the first, you know, it was like, well, the first is a Republican seat. No, it wasn't. It was a Biden plus one. Right. The only one was maybe the third was a, a, a uh, went for Trump, but barely went for yep. Trump. And it's it's just amazing to me how bad uh, of a job uh, you know we did with redistricting and how bad of a job uh, how how bad it turned out and it, it leads to a guy like George Santos who you know 2 years ago when he ran against Tom Swazi nobody even paid attention to him yeah uh, Tom Swazi wiped the floor with him 2 years ago yeah this is this is the this is the failure that 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 allows Kevin McCarthy to sell his soul for, for, for so cheap. So, you know, it's always like, you know, and one of the reasons I love calling on your show is that, you know, you're in all of these different markets, but yep. but you make people understand politics is local. Yep. And if you care about these issues, you have to be involved at the local level. You have to be involved at the community level because politics in our nation flows up from the local level. It does not come down from the national level. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and here it is. I mean, New York gave, I mean, Kevin McCarthy uh, should be calling Lee Zeldin and saying, you know, what can I do for you, <laughs> sir? You want me to come over and wash your car? Uh, you want me to put up a fence so that nobody gets shot on your lawn? I mean, I, I, whatever. I don't know what he's going to do for him, but it's just well, amazing. After that speaker fight, he's got a lot of favors to repay, right? I'm sure he's right now busy, like, washing Marjorie Taylor Greene's hair. Yeah. I'm sure that was part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And promising not to, you know, uh, pass a rule like they did in, in Missouri where she can't, you know, she can keep her arms out on the floor. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see that? It's, it's sick. And let's talk. About let's talk about that too. Ellie, the Supreme Court is looking at a case called Moore v. Harper, which advances this conservative theory of uh, the independent legislature to allow for the selection of a president of the United States over the election over the will of the people. You know, can you break this down for me and my listeners because it's complicated. You know, and is it going to happen? Yeah, okay, so the simplest way of explaining this case is, the question is, who gets to decide 
what the election laws say, right? We all agree that it's Congress or the state legislature that gets to write the election laws. But now they've, they've been written. Who gets to interpret what they mean? Now, in every state in the union right now, the state Supreme Court gets to decide what both the state constitution means and what the election laws mean, right? And then most states, as well you know, have things like independent boards of elections or independent county uh, commissioners uh, that also get to kind of administer the basic rules of when you show up to vote, when the polls close, and what the voter registration looks like and all that kind of stuff, right? So the Republican theory says, no, 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 it's not the state Supreme Court. It's not the independent uh, board of elections. It's only the state legislature that gets to decide what election laws mean, what the state constitution means regarding to election, and what voting laws we can have, not even the, the Board of Election, right? That is their theory. It is a crackpot theory. Completely it has, crackpot. <laughs> it has never been agreed to um, in a court of law in this land. But the theory comes, and I, we were talking about dating myself already, right? The theory comes from a little case in the year 2000 called Bush v. Gore. Yep. If people remember Bush v. Gore, remember the issue was that there was a recount ordered by who? Ordered by the state court. Right. And it was the Republican legislature in Florida that was trying to stop the recount of that election. Now, uh, eventually the Supreme Court stopped the recount. They didn't stop it on independent state legislature theory. They had this other theory. Fine. They stopped the recount. But... Independent state legislature theory was advanced at the time, and it was adopted by one, ju- two justices, William Rehnquist and the still alive Clarence Thomas. Mm. That theory was put forward by a lawyer for the George W. Bush campaign named Brett Kavanaugh. Ugh. So that is why we are here, folks. It is a crackpot theory, but it's a crackpot theory that is supported by a couple of Republican at justices. At least two. Right? Probably right. two. Um, and what it suggests is is the way that Republicans want to legalize the next coup. Because if Republican state legislatures are the only ones that can interpret the state constitution, if it's not the Board of Elections, if it's not the independent county commissioners, then guess what? Republican state legislatures are also the ones who get to decide who the electors are after an election. And, it, and by the way, that avoids any court review or any executive action, which I think is a violation of the Guarantee Clause of the United States Constitution. It would, evade, it would evade any court review. It would evade the governor. It would evade any veto power. That's, again, it's a crackpot theory. But remember, this was the legal part of the coup. People have to remember, the coup was proceeding in two tracks, right? right. One was the allegedly legal track of these fake electors. The second was the violent overthrow of the government that happened on January 6th. But the legal track was this fake electors thing, and the way that you make, the way that you turn fake electors into real electors is with independent state legislature theory. Now, that's the stakes. I have to say, listening to oral arguments, they happened just before uh, the holidays, listening to oral arguments, I don't know that the Republicans who advanced this theory made the sale. Um, John Roberts, so all the liberals are against it, that's three. Right. John Roberts, if people have to understand, Roberts doesn't like this theory because Roberts wants to give more power to judges. Right. Independent state legislature theory takes power away from Right, right. So John Roberts isn't on board, that's four. And the fifth, honestly, could be Amy Coney Barrett, huh. who has never written about this, has never, there's no other evidence that she likes this. As far as I know, Jesus does not have an opinion on independence. I, I don't think Jesus ever cared about the legislature. And she 
seemed uh, concerned about its implications, at least at oral arguments. Right. So that's my hope that, 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 that they didn't make the sale to Amy Coney Barrett, that they don't have five votes to push this through, and that this dies, this, again, cockamamie theory dies a death at the Supreme Court sometime this June. Is there any hope. reality, anything that, what are they hanging their hat on here? That the, the, con- the, the, the conservatives? Yeah. Um, the electors, the, the, the Constitution, there's an article in, the, in Section 1 of the Constitution that says the legislative power shall determine blah, 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 elections laws. It's called the elections clause in the Constitution. Right. Now, from 1787 on, the legislative power has been interpreted to mean the lawmaking authority of that state, which would include the courts, the governor. Right the Board of Elections, right? Republicans are trying to read it very thinly and very literally that the legislative power only refers to the state legislature. Again, we have not done that since 1787, right? That, that, is, right. that, does not go, that is not how the people who actually wrote the electors' cause practiced election. Right. Um, We've, but, we, we have a guarantee clause, too, that requires a Republican form of government, which requires an executive and a judiciary. One would think, right? So, like, again, this is not, this is, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. This is not a good legal argument, but it, there are lots of bad legal arguments that win at the Supreme Court anyway because they, they help the Republican agenda. I don't know if this will be the next one. Like I said, on this particular case, I still have some hope that Republicans didn't make the sale to the conservative justices. Is Neil Gorsuch on board with this independent state legislature theory? 100%, Chris. You have to understand about Gorsuch. He's a nihilist. He does not believe the federal government should have power. And he generally doesn't believe that anybody uh, anybody other than a state legislature should hold real power in this country. His whole thing is to destruct deconstruct the administrative state. So Gorsuch is totally on board. Thomas, totally on board. Alito, totally on board. Kavanaugh, even though this is, not, this is his idea, he might not be on board. Kavanaugh, at least in oral arguments, was trying to thinly slice um, and distinguish between the current independent state legislature theory and the one he advanced in Bush v. Gore. So I don't know if that means he's in play, but at least he didn't sound like the other three of them. I mean, it seems to me like it would be chaotic, right? I mean, the, the legislature's are governed by their state constitution, and the state constitution determines how legislation becomes law, why would it be different for electors? The other reason why I don't know that they've got uh, five votes is because not only is it chaotic, Chris, it's chaos that cuts both ways. You want to roll out like this, well, then good luck you know, winning uh, uh, Michigan anytime soon, where they have... The, where the Democrats control the state legislature. Right. Good, you know, good luck winning in some of these blue states where Democrats do hold control, because if Republicans can change the electoral count in a red state, that means Democrats can do that in a blue state if they happen to control the state legislature. So you never know how these things kind of play out in the, in the fullness of time. And I think that that reality, that chaos, that danger is one of the reasons at least some of the conservatives seemed reluctant to go the full nine yards and adopt the theory. And, and don't don't you think this would be like a torches and pitchforks moment for the state legislature if the people voted for one candidate and they decide, nope, you didn't vote that way? I mean, these people tried to overthrow the government. I, I, don't, I don't know that they're... What do, what do they think is going to happen? Like, like, let's say the state of Pennsylvania, let's say Georgia, you know, for example, decides that they're going to vote for the Democratic candidate in 2024, whoever that may be. 
And the state legislature, fully Republican, decides, nope, we're not going to let that happen. Like, what would happen to them? (laughs) The things that I have learned in my travels about Republicans is that they think they'll win. So they think that if they'll do that, they'll win, because even if liberals are are sad, all we're going to do is cry about it while they have the guns. Ah. That's how they think. Yeah. You know? uh, and, and so, like. So, the, is it I, time? What are you saying? Is it time for liberals to stop crying and buy guns? Or No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it certainly is time for liberals to take the courts seriously. Absolutely. Which when is why. Don't, this is what happens. Which is why I have you on. But, you know, here's something that's not, not serious about the court. Um, this leak investigation. Now, I know that Sam Alito leaked it, and I'm sure you do too, right? I'm sure that's my theory of the case that, you know, the guy was getting pressure from the chief judge to change his mind and to, to water down his opinion. And he wanted his ridiculously conservative opinion out there for the world to see. That's what I think happened. Um, but the courts, the court decided to investigate this on their own. And the marshal of the Supreme Court sound couldn't find out who, who did the leak, found nothing. Not a surprise, Chris, that they found nothing, because they never intended to find anything, because once they figured out that a conservative did it, yep. there was no chance that they were going to find out who the real leaker was. One of the ways, Chris, that we know, and I read the full, the report came out today, it's only 23 pages, it's an easy read. One of the ways that we know that this investigation was a joke is that according to the report, at least as it appears on the page, they didn't actually question the Supreme Court justices themselves. Yeah. They questioned the clerks, they questioned the janitor, they, but they didn't actually question the Supreme Court justices themselves. And then when you read other reports, there was a good one on the Wall Street Journal, which I usually don't shout out, but they had a good report on this, um, about the kinds of questions that were asked. They were literally asking people, did you do it? Yeah. No. Did you did do you it? Anybody who did? <laughs> Nope. No. They didn't ask who printed it out. They didn't look at the printer logs. They didn't look at the email logs. They, 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 this was not a serious investigation. This was never designed to actually find the leaker. What they were trying to do the entire time was to use this leak to distract people from what the leak was actually about. Yeah. Which was the revocation of reproductive rights. Oh, I think the leak came... Look, if a Democrat was going to do this... Why would they do it in what was it like March when the leak happened? It was May. It was a month before the. It was a month right. and a half before the case. We would be much better off having it happen later, so people were angry, you know, in time for the election, which it turns out they were. <laughs> so. the, the reason why I'm I was I've always been fairly confident that Alito or some other Republican did it is because again it goes back to the weakest justice on the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. Right. And 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 what that leak was trying to do was lock in Brett Kavanaugh's vote. Yeah. So that anybody would know that if the opinion was anything less than a full revocation of Roe v. Wade, everybody would know that it was Brett Kavanaugh who failed them at the cruise. Yep. Like, that's what the leak was, uh, was trying to accomplish. I don't know if it worked or not, but I do know that Brett Kavanaugh st- stuck with his team. He did. And that, that case came down 6-3. Now, you know, look... You, you, you see in the in the in the supporting in the uh, concurring opinions by Thomas attacks on other rights, and you see states starting to work this stuff out. And I guess now that there's a drag queen on the Republican side in Congress, maybe they won't go after drag queen story hour or something like that. Uh, but uh, but do you anticipate a further deterioration of rights under this very conservative court? 
coming after gay rights already. I mean, we're going to see uh, there are already cases um, that they've argued this term um, that will reduce uh, the rights of gay marriage and basically allow people with religious objections or just moral objections to deny services to gay couples getting married. That's already going to happen. This court is already uh, poised to um, overturn and repeal affirmative action. Like, that's already on the books. So, yeah, as you pointed out, uh, Chris, Thomas laid out a bunch of rights he wants to take away, not interracial marriage, interestingly. Right. Enough, but a bunch of other <laughs> I, I, stuff. I wonder why. <laughs> so, you know, who, who can know, but not that, but right. a bunch of other stuff that he wants to take away. And they want to kind of send us back into what Alito wrote about in, um, in the actual opinion, which is this kind of 1850s uh, version of America to make it kind of safe for heterosexual, heteronormative white men. That, like, that's, that's the goal. And they've got five or six votes to do it. Yeah. Now, politically, it appears in the last election, America understood this is what they were doing. And they came out in force and you had the result you had, particularly in the Senate, right? Even in the House for the most part. Do you think that that will be sustained going forward? Right. I mean, Democrats have to vote in midterms. It's just it's just that clear. I mean, if they don't, we're going to lose more Senate seats and we're not going to have we're going to have a court that we you know, that doesn't want an America that we will recognize. Gosh, I hope so. And, and, and whether or not it is sustainable is going to involve, really, is going to really speak to what Democratic leadership does with it, whether or not they learn the lesson, right? Like, people were able to keep Dobbs and the revocation of reproductive rights in their head on their own. Right. But going forward into 2024 and 2026, it's going to be a question of whether or not Democrats keep making the point or, where, or if they kind of uh, uh, get scared and back away from the point. We already saw in the lead-up to the midterms, there were already kind of establishment Democratic forces being like, I, I, I think we're talking too much about abortion. Yep. We should be talking about gas prices. Well, it turned out they were wrong. Yep, they I were completely wrong. TV and say they were wrong, but they won't, of course. Oh, they were completely wrong. They were, wrong. They, were so, they were completely wrong. And it was, it was amazing. Look. I was not surprised by the Senate. I knew, I, you know, I think the Republicans put up some of the worst Senate candidates in the history of, uh, of yeah. uh, it was like the 1962 Mets. I mean, they were yeah. horrible. Uh, and and uh, I, I, I was surprised by the House because I thought gerrymandering was going to yield them more results. And I thought that, you know, we were in trouble in the House. Yeah. I, I always thought that the red wave was a little bit overhyped, but like, you know, Losing 20, 25 seats would have been a pretty standard. Losing 25 seats would have been good. Right. From the perspective of historical trends in midterm elections when you're the party in, in, in the White House. Right. So for it to be what it was was just like, wow. Like, that was really surprising. Do Democrats learn the correct lesson and spend the next two years pumping up their base? Or do they go back to their usual Democratic thing of trying to placate Republicans? I think that will have a big effect on how 2024 rolls out. Because remember, Chris, the 2024 map is horrible. Horrible. Horrible for Democrats. Yeah. I mean, they've got to, they've got to defend West Virginia, Ohio, and Montana. Montana. Like, yeah. How does that even happen, right? And yet, how do you win two out of three of those, right? I, 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 well, I mean, and, and, you know, what is the chance that Joe Manchin even runs again? Uh, it's it, they also have to defend Arizona. Don't forget, and, and with with cinema um, now being an independent, we're going to have a, a real Democrat. Let me let me explain that. something to you. Cinema is going to be the Democratic candidate in Arizona. There will not be a primary, there, and even if there is a primary, it doesn't matter because the Democratic establishment in, in Arizona is going to say, "Well, if we don't run cinema, she's going to run as a third party, and we're going to elect a Republican." 
right? And and that's I think she made the play here that she was going to get primaried and that she decided she wasn't going to get going to wait around for the primary. She's going to force them to endorse her. And I think that's what's going to happen. Bad, Chris. But, but anyway, it's so it's it's cynical. But don't you do you see what I'm saying? I do. I do see what you're saying. I, I don't know. I Ruben Gallego has been doing a lot of work out there. And I, and Ruben I, Gallego I, is not going to run. You are not going to get a gonna, uh, no. You are not going to get a serious Democrat to run in a three way race with Cinnamon in the middle because they can't win. The Republican will What? Dinner bet on Gallego. Dinner bet on Gallego. I will either cook for you or buy you dinner at the restaurant of your choice. Print it, buddy. Print it. I don't think he's going to run. and Because he can't win. The only way he runs is if she decides not to run. He, he's got to. There, I, can't, I can't four more years with this. I, I can't. She's at Davos. When I met like, the woman, I met the woman at a conference when she was a state senator and she was running for Congress. And there was a hurricane that didn't allow me to fly back from Colorado. And I'm at dinner with a couple of uh, political consultants. And I'm like, how is she going to get elected in Arizona to Congress? She's way too liberal for Arizona. That's what I thought when I met her. She's way too liberal for Arizona. I don't know what happened to her. It's driving me crazy. But Ellie, I'm out of time. I love you. Ellie Mistal, follow him on Twitter. I tweet him out all the time. And of course, read the nation. Ellie is the justice. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Correspondent, and he's one of the best writers. And watch him on MSNBC. And MSNBC, if you're listening, use him more. He's the best (laughs) you got. All right, Ellie. I love you. Talk to you later, man. All right, that's Ellie. I mean, he's always great. Follow him on Twitter. Read him in The Nation. I mean, if you're not reading The Nation, all The Nation guests I have on here by now, uh, subscribe today. It's great. It's a great uh, source of information and a great magazine. And Ellie is one of the best writers. And, and seriously, uh, tweet at MSNBC to, to put this guy on more. He's fantastic. All right, so I'm going to close the show with once again pointing out that there was another mass shooting in the United States of America. And this time it got about a half a day worth of coverage. Um, We are so desensitized in this country to death caused unnecessarily by maniacs that have guns. And I always hope that we're going to do something we never do. We clearly won't this time. And I don't even know what else to say about it. I am disgusted by it. I am terrified by it. It is a a disgrace nationally. It doesn't appear that this man used an automatic weapon or an AR. But yet we have this gun culture 
where crazy people get in their head that they're going to go out and they're going to shoot things up. And it only seems to happen here. Yeah, there are the isolated anecdotal uh, you know, events that happen around the world and other countries. But for the most part, it happens here. Random, crazy gunmen going out, killing people with their gun. Makes them feel like a man. It's kind of ridiculous. And it is kind of senseless that this keeps happening in America and nothing ever gets done. I think we can all agree in this country that people with a history of mental health problems should not have weapons that kill you. I think we can all agree in this country that there should be strict background checks, waiting periods for people to get guns. I, you know, Waiting periods would be great. Particularly, look, we always hear about all the gun deaths in America, and we know that a lot of them, most of them, the vast majority of them, are suicides. Wouldn't it be great if when you bought a gun, you had to wait a week to get that gun? And during the background check, maybe somebody is checked on, actually checked on, like a call made to somebody. Uh, That'd be great because maybe these people who kill themselves with guns wouldn't kill themselves. They're waiting for their gun. Somebody calls their cousin. Cousin calls them. Says, are you okay? Why are you buying a gun? Uh, you know, that's not what the case is here. And this guy killed himself because he was in a shoot-off or a standoff with police. But, you know, why did he pick up that gun? Why did he go to that place and shoot up those people? Clearly disturbed. And, you know, people who are gun enthusiasts say, well, you're never going to be able to stop mental health. No, you're not. You won't be able to get rid of all of it. But you could stop some of it. You could stop a lot of it. You could also stop people from killing themselves with guns. I think it's vital in this country that whatever gun policy we ever ever pass next, which I don't have any hope for in this Congress, that we include waiting periods and real background checks where people are contacted before guns are, are bought. All right. I hate ending on a sad note, especially after I have a great interview with Ellie, but it, it's, it always just gets me every time I see these gun ridiculously senseless killings that could be prevented but I want to remind you now as I always do to seek the truth question everyone and everything even me seek the truth I know it's out there and I know you'll find it if you look for it and I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it I'm Chris Hahn thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast